Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Okay, welcome back today for New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery, and we're continuing the series on um, disputed ledger uh, concepts behind the, the research Dr. Gorog has presented in his dissertation. Um, and we've kind of gone over some of these factors. Um, there's a lot of research uh, within this dissertation, a lot of community effort, a lot of collaboration, it seems like, um, which means, you know, Dr. Grog, you were saying that you've had a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of established collaboration among multiple groups in multiple places, um, integration of different concepts, collaboration among states, governments, all these different things. So kind of elaborate on some of the research and give us some type of uh, factors and collaboration um, that you've done that kind of comes to consensus of some of the scalability of this. Yeah. So, you know, I started start talking in, a, in the, I think the last episode we did about um, how we did some evaluations on distributed ledger trying to implement trust. And we knew the numbers of target. We knew that we had to get to billions of transactions and we found that we just couldn't get there. Then we did, you know, I, I worked with early on, we'll say in, in 2016 or so with some entities in the state of Colorado to try to implement trust for a, a statewide uh, um, program. And in doing so, um, you know, at that point it was just trying to support them in, could we implement this at a, a state level to, to, to control the operations of a program that had 2,600 different entities that would be putting data in across the state at a rate of about 120,000 transactions or 10,000 transactions per day. Um, and, and it was it was fascinating work at the time. And we said, oh, we're gonna do this on Ethereum. It's all the hype was out. And when we did the analysis on how many transactions we need, it was more than Ethereum could handle in, with one state program. So we we looked at another couple that were big at the time. I think Sawtooth Lake was a, a one that was promising and it, it had too much of a link to physical hardware. We couldn't do it on virtual cloud services. Uh, and then we went with um, a Hyperledger Fabric uh, rollout and we, we mapped this to 2,200 different machines, putting data into a distributed ledger and thought this is gonna be going to be great um and uh you know the research from this you could find on my my website uh and it's linked in in the, my dissertation as well and um the cost for cloud storage of one year of of running transactions for this one state program was like 10 times more than the state had budgeted and the second year exponentially grew because you kept the year before's data and there's no way to actually remove data it just kept growing into this huge blob uh, and the current, the whole application of distributed ledgers didn't work and yeah. it was cost inhibitive. And it's the same thing when you start reading and research what all the companies are running into. You know, yeah. they would love to use this technology, but it's cost inhibitive. It doesn't make sense for their business model. 
yeah, and that's, that's so that's that's the start of looking at how to to solve this is first to identify the the restrictions, and that's where it started. That's interesting, and he did it with the state legislation or the state. Yes, department. so we had the the state support. We we were funded at a university to to try rolling out to a program, um, right. and then you asked support from there on. Um, literally, the state had such an interest in cybersecurity. Uh, they had formed a whole institution for that. Uh, and they said, how can we put some research behind it? What should we be researching? And that's right. where, when I was a, a professor at Colorado Tech, I helped uh, Senator Kent Lambert then write legislation of how we could fund and support cybersecurity research through the state. And they right. said, oh, this this makes a lot of sense because right in the, the, the legislation, we said, if you if you save this much on your programs, the economics of cybersecurity by implementing cybersecurity, and you can prove that, then we could put that much money into research. And oh, by the way, we'll start out with so many million dollars a year into research to make this initial phase work. So that was the the, the kind of the, the second big piece. But with that came a lot of local support, people interested in how can I get involved? And cryptocurrencies were all the buzz back then. You know, yeah. you know, mining and and how can we get involved with adapting that technology to our state records? And oh, by the way, I'm a student and I need experience. And a lot of what we offered was giving a, a plethora of students some initial experience, some real world something they could put their finger on, a coding experience for 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 a semester that they could take and make something that both supported the community and gave them something. And then, oh, by the way, we decided from the ground up before decentralized autonomous organizations were even a thing that we would tokenize it. We're going to log all your hours and give value once a year based on how many hours are submitted to uh, an organization, which is actually now a public company, a C corporation that is contracted to manage the programs that would roll out for the state. Um, and so everybody got a piece out of it plus the future um, that, you know, that, that resonated with many different universities. So we were able to get local chapters, uh, universities yeah. that provided students. How many universities now? Um, last time I counted, we had like 14, 16 universities yeah. that were and it's engaged. States, right? Yeah. And that, that involved, you know, certain programs then within a yeah. state that were linked and companies got involved. We have utility companies, we have military contractors. They're like, hey, if we could put a little bit of, of, of support, funding and, and our personnel into these, what, you know, it's something that we could possibly use in the future. So, it, right. you know, that's where the local communities come in, came in. And then we, because the state was, was aligned, we had a lot of support from the Office of Information Technology and the Department of Regulatory Agencies of, you know, what do they need to see in order to move a state program into it? And that led, to, I think we talked about an earlier show, to the, the questions of, well, we need to answer privacy questions. So um, the, I, I ran an organization, a campaign called Privacy for the People. And I was just like, yeah. hey, let's see if the, all the students wanted to try a GoFundMe. And we said, can we get funded if we say, is privacy for the people something they're, they're interested in funding? And we got a little bit of funding, but nothing to say, but we caught the attention of IEEE. And they said, hey, can you take this to a global scale? We would yeah. love to see an organization um, that looks at both blockchain for the, for the blockchain initiative and privacy for the digital privacy initiative. 
which I've been a member of for the, you know, the blockchain initiative for three years, and then it has graduated, and now I'm the chair for the digital privacy initiative. But all those international organizations have brought that awareness, that connection, and just all these things, and literally just some some amazing people like yourself and Dr. Murray, who yeah. are global spokespeople. Dr. Murray is the 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 president globally for ISSA. Um, yeah. and, and, and yourself with all the, the, the connections you have at the government level has been just amazing. So one begets the other, all the community pieces come together. Now we're looking to take this to the next level. How can we roll this out and provide something for everybody? Yeah. It sounds like you, you've gotten a lot of different, um, industrial, the, the, the industry standards, right? So you're looking at, uh, local levels, you're looking at state levels, you're looking at federal levels now, looking at the posturing and the military aspects um, that's had input into this concept for uh, disputed ledger uh, that, you know, there there are tones from blockchain and Bitcoin, I always say that, but I think a lot of people, when you say blockchain, they refer back to Bitcoin like that's the only thing it is, and, and, and it's really not. Mm -hmm. um, I think the separation needs to be applied here in understanding of that. I know most of our listeners will probably comprehend, but those who don't really understand blockchain and the consensus of what it does, um, it doesn't really conform to, although that's the way they've used it, to, to you know, currency, electric currency, digital currency. Um, there's other, it, it really has a lot of different applications, essentially, that we can use it for, but it has been explored through your research and through the different communities and in collaboration of those communities. So it's quite interesting how that has kind of evolved itself over time, uh, Darren, throughout the seven years to get you to the publication of this paper and the type of things that have gone into this type of, of research and the, and the material and the resources that have done it. Um, so, I mean, that, that gives us how legislation could Im impact. Mm -hmm. um, and you talked a little bit about the legislation that the state has. So talk a little bit about, I know Senator Lambert, uh, I think you've inspired him to go and get his own doctorate somewhere. Uh, I think he's involved in, in, in doing that today. Um, so what what spawned some of the legislation? Get into the, the idea behind the legislation of that. So the, the legislation in Colorado, they, they already had the appetite for this. I would say I didn't create it um, yeah. for cybersecurity. And um, uh, the governor at the time, and his name is now slipping me, um, uh, Hicken, he's been on New Cyber Frontier back in some of the earliest shows. Yeah, um, John Hickenlooper, who yeah, Hickenlooper. at some point run for president, and uh, you know, I'll tell you what, he he had really put some inspiring things together in Colorado. And yeah, I think I would probably vote for him if he ran for president. That you know, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I think that he could bring some future foresight at, at that level that isn't there that he brought at Colorado. And that foresight well, was to say, how can we use our tax money for economic development and to get more economy and more business in the state at a later point? Yeah. Now, I would say, you know, he was here for a couple of years. The legislation was put through the current administration, you know, inherited COVID and um, other things and been have been a little bit more absent from this discussion. Uh, but you know, maybe for good reason, they have other things they're focused on, but, um, the, 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 the appetite then for, you know, how can we put some, a little bit of money behind it to sponsor education, to sponsor, uh, 
research and development to sponsor new technologies is a similar thought process at the national level with the SIB or the SBIR process, small SIBR, small innovation business. Yeah. Uh, small business a process to seed the economy. But yeah. in this case, it had a, a direct purpose to try to bring things into the state that mm -hmm. taxpayers wanted in terms of privacy, security, and government uh, oversight with those controls. Yeah, it seemed like a, a win-win because you got research, development, you got students that got, contributed um, to some of the evolution of this uh, that supported furthering understanding of how blockchain can be applied to concepts and applications across multiple industries. Um, you guys worked, uh, and you work continuously, I think, with utility companies now, right, uh, through that effort is too, to evolve uh, the SCADA, um, how um, how that will impact power in your home uh, and the possibility of uh, a malice act um, we refer to as terrorism a lot of times and use of, of those utilities towards those acts. Um, so the nature of this thing uh, and the amount of people and different resources, things that have applied themselves uh, faithfully to the, to, you know, growing this, Mm -hmm. is is massive at this point uh even you know we talked about universities 13 of them we talked about legislation in the state um we know there's initiatives in the in congress uh to actually uh try to imply security measures across the board uh we talked about the effort of what zero trust in itself but could be implications of this type of research right um yeah, so yeah. the community is very supportive across the board multiple industries multiple ways so, I mean, I guess the next kind of kind of questions that we refer to as some of the questions I was looking at is the societal uh, aspects of, of how this might impact such uh, the society in itself. We go back to the concept of individual value too. So, um, what are some of the societal? Do you believe there's any societal proposal or opposition to such the technologies that imply? It doesn't sound like the, at least the community have, that has been, you know, actually working in it, they all see it as, you know, a, a very good thing. You mm -hmm. um, talked about the privacy, the trust uh, that derives from the individual being able to in the digital age. So mm -hmm. do you think there's any opposition in society? And what are those? What, what might you know, they be? An interesting, interesting kind of, I don't know, dilemma progression of, of events over time, where at certain times in the, the history of the cybersecurity industry, cybersecurity has been viewed negatively as either Big Brother watching, yeah. as tracking, as um, intrusive, as, uh, and there there's there's always a contrast there. And I would say in some aspects, the nature of how the cybersecurity industry has developed and or hasn't developed is partially because of that. That there has been times when people were, at, we'll say, in protesting against certain cybersecurity or privacy applications that had a political either spin by somebody or a political viewpoint that they could be negative. Yeah, you know, is always. the government tracking me? Is yeah. 
is my usage of websites that I'm engaging with at nighttime something that everybody's going to be able to see? Yeah. Um, what is the aspects of that? So the some of the and, and kind of the early stage of the internet and hands off in far as any kind of controls has led us to the point where we can't even stop the bad guys now because we don't have any kind of way to tell who they are. Right. And because there's no deterrent that anybody's going to get caught, there's no reason for the bad guys to stop or there's nothing that says, um, why would I, if I can't make money being, being doing something, something beneficial, why would I not be a bad guy? They make lots of money and there's mm -hmm. chances of getting caught or almost zero. Um, yeah. or getting punished, we'll say punished or almost zero, right? So yeah. even if you, you know, who the, the 10,000 people and where they come from into your network as a company, you know who they are, but there's nothing you can do other than try to block them yourself. Right. So, um, we have no retribution because we don't have any trust and we can't tell how we trust people that we do deal with and how we actively engage with people because we've kept some of these things away on purpose and stopped some technologies in security that were considered big brother. Um, now that being the case that was taken into account in our work from the ground up, how do we stop and make it possible or, or make big brother, not really a thing. So how do we say that even if there is a control, it's something that's publicly vetted that has a decision process that's, that's not big brother, that is open for, for, for you to contract can contribute to. So, the governance process put in place to as those checks and balances kind of like the early days of our country when we had three branches of government put together for checks and balances mm -hmm. we looked at how do we do that in the digital world and what yeah. are the checks and balances that have to be in from the beginning to give people a a um, comfort level with that there's a neutral aspect it's not a single entity controlling it I don't just have to sign my life away with a click to whatever company I'm using. It is something that is vetted neutrally displayed publicly. And I have the rights uh, to not be, have my privacy violated, but at the same time, a legal government has the right to issue a subpoena to get into one person's private information and right. enabling those pieces within technology became almost the, the nature of setting up, whole government system for the digital post-digital transformation because we don't have that how are yeah. we att attempting to have governments inside this infinite spectrum of post-digital transformation without even having a thought process for governance so i think you know in this work it's almost the first that i know of that has taken that holistic approach to from the ground up understand that there's going to be both sides of that dissidence of I don't like being controlled and I want to control and right. enabling those pieces in a neutral way. Yeah. It, it sounds like, uh, um, I know there was concern in the beginning when a lot of this started out, um, about big brother. I know we talked, we had plenty of conversations about <laughs> those types of things. My background with government, uh, those types of concepts. Um, we know that uh, that the way it derived itself, at least the basis behind it now, 
is more public. It's not just one entity. And the way it will spread when it does start to propagate and develop, it will be among everybody. So there's a consensus measure to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then that's kind of a free-flowing in itself, how the integral component plays roles inside the blockchain and its mm -hmm. ledgers. So um, it's interesting to understand that that as you as the person who it's like inventing the internet right it's everyone's it's free flowing mm -hmm. it's a concept that will hold privacy where it should it gives that type of um, empowerment to individuals it also applies to governments who lawfully use it conservatively um, the way they should so it's interesting that you, you defined it from the ground up with those things in mind um so to me opposition when it comes to societal measures i know that everybody has their take on and opinions on exactly what would happen how that would, could run amok um i'm sure that will be a motivator for those who want to get on those who don't want to get on um so i would say how how do you pertain to say that the framework of this thing i mean how do you sell that to a society that opposes it how, how, what would you say to a society that a group of people that say, hey, this, you know, it's one of those things that that, that is the work of the government and we're not ever going to do this. I mean, yeah. how what would the concept be behind that? Besides the fact of what we just discussed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But how would you proof it that way? So and that was that was one of the reasons why when we started, I talked in an earlier portion of the series about how. Um, we ran into the privacy questions of who answers the question about privacy yeah. and who answered it was different in every culture and who was right. allowed and permitted to answer. It was different in every culture. So in, in terms of governance, identifying those regions that are questionable and changeable per culture and allowing a jurisdictional approach where different sovereign areas and segments of what we're doing are under yeah. the control of the local government or under control of the local officials that would govern that section and provide those insights. And so a lot of it was just identifying the places where it changes socially or geographically or regionally and letting those regions make the decisions in those independently by themselves. Yeah. And there, that was, a, that was a difficult piece to add in is, you know, because I'm sure we, we, we missed some too. And that's the reason why we said, okay, we're going to make a scalable architecture because we know we're going to miss some and we're going to make it scalable so we can add entities and relationships that enforce those. And each region can then subdivide into their entities and relationships and have those of their own. So an expandable government for the virtual air. And, and that's, you know, I know we didn't catch all the areas, but we left it open to grow. Yeah, that it sounds like you've incorporated the concept of the ability to sustain itself through different through multiple measures that will more likely universify the the, the ecosystem in itself. Um, talk a little bit about the ecosystem of specifics of of how the blockchain ledger applies itself across such a scope um, that you talked about with the. Um, with the community aspects to it, the, the governance aspects to it. Yeah. So basically, um, there, prior to what we're, we're releasing, there's pretty much two categories of blockchain. That's 
open um, public and then permissions, privates. Mm-hmm. So the open public, anybody can join. You download software, boom, you're participating. Right. And that that is problematic in certain areas where you want to be able to vet who's on it, right, and know who they are. So companies came up with a here's a p- private permissioned one. Right. And that has the problems of, you know, I one company handles permissions, but multiple companies participate. How do do we trust their ability to set permissions? So now how do we distribute that ability to set permissions? So literally we went with a hybrid approach between the two. It says anybody can register. Yeah. They can start particip- participating. Their trust is maintained so we know how they participated over time without knowing their full identity and all the, their privacy things. But we can have a trust score for them. And then should they reach a punitive action that they need to be disengaged, then that capability is there by the neutral governance, which is jurisdictional and produ- you know done by public vetting that everybody can see it being done. So now you can see who had those measures taken against them or whatnot, but basically saying that anybody can participate, anybody can register, mm-hmm. but you have to do it within the bounds of the actively synchronizing. So it's called a synchronous trust consensus model and maintaining yeah. a certain set of behavior, which is what's known, what would be considered good behavior. And you're incentivized by your trust score going up. The longer you have good behavior, which gives you more incentive released to you for your higher trust level. That's interesting. Yeah. You talk about the consensus model. So how does governance seamlessly integrate into the consensus model here? And what specific implications does does this, the synergy of such things have on the overall manageability and discussion making processes within the ecosystem? Yeah. So everybody has to register to operate a ledger. Then every global period, which is a three-tier consensus, the the consortium body puts together which ledgers have participated validly and they're authorized to operate in the next period. So that control structure implements something that also has been missioned socially in in the, we'll say, the the cybersecurity world is the ability to enforce compliance. So it's done neutrally, openly. Everybody can see what's coming down the pipe before it Mm -hmm. happens. But yet we can say this entity is now being engaged to do this operation and their time to do that starts tomorrow. And every day we, that they have good behavior, we continue to authorize them to work in the next period. So it implements a, a socially responsible control structure that everybody knows how they can participate effectively as long as they behave properly. Yeah, it's it's interesting to know that the the amount of conversations that have probably gone on with different um, facets in our society, federal, state, different levels, I guess you could say, societal, uh, I'm sure the individuals, especially at university levels, uh, the consensus there, sounds like the model is is incorporated genuinely every, everything, every aspect that you possibly could really imply to the baseline from the ground up. And that's so, why we were listening to everybody. That's why we were talking to everybody on the show right. for the last nine years now. We've run a new yeah. cyber frontier. We wanted to know everybody's thoughts on this. We wanted it all information. Half the time I'm talking, 
and I'm saying something and you hear me maybe rewording something as I'm saying it, it's because I'm talking to a particular person I talked to three years ago and yeah. making sure I capture their either angst or, or desires. And that's what I've learned. That's what Tim and I have learned. That's what Sean has learned from talking to everybody. We're yeah. pulling everybody and making sure that we have a wide participation to what, not only what is happening now, what's the best practices, which Dr. Murray is now uh, the, the president of Inter international for ISSA and doing wonders there. But yeah. what is the future look like and how can we start actually forming that to be the best for the needs of everybody that, that we've been pulling? Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. It sounds like that is in your research, it's evolved. Um, a premature level at this point. So it sounds like a we great baseline so. behind the start. You know, I'd say the most mature level in cybersecurity, though, is the awareness yeah. that you're never mature and yeah. that you always need a way to reset and come back around and, 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 and recover from a compromise, from a, from a, a, a back treading, from a, a violation. And that's the big thing that, that we heard from you guys for nine years is that no matter what we put together has to have a, a way back machine has to have a way to, to reset and a way to get out of where we're at because we know nothing is a hundred percent. Right. And so it's, it's, it's an evolving solution that constantly modifies in accordance to a lot of different variables, um, all placed at different various communitive levels. Um, and, and the technology itself, how it's distributed, mm -hmm. means that the physical aspects of it, well, it'll never be deterred. I mean, you'd have to destroy an awful lot of things once it got distributed to, to certain relevant points. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it sounds like the type of research you've done is, it's almost, it's it's almost to the next level uh, above and beyond some of the things that I think I've seen in in the last five years. So it's, it's quite the quite the amazement to understand it. In its depth, so it's great to uh, great to have you on. Um, we're running out of time, so um, got any last few words here for this show? Yeah, just in closing. I mean, and thanks for saying that. That, that you know, the level we're at. I would say that um, we we hope that we can get to the point where we influence and change the world um, in several different ways. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of ways that if you're listening, you can be involved with this. Uh, this distributed ledger that we've talked about uh, and, and this capability is going out to the market. We are going to do an initial token offering. Uh, keep checking back for that when it comes out. Support with with the you know the preemptive purchasing of tokens to be uh, involved. It's not for a, a speculative. It is our tokens are for actually implementing the the, the blockchain and and working with it. Um, so it's a, it's a different animal. Make sure you understand the animal, but there is ways that we're going to offer discounts for people coming on early and you can get in soon here when this comes up in the initial token offering. So look for, for ways to look for, keep, keep, keep in touch with us about those releases coming up. Yeah. And I think another thing to add on that is the society itself, it needs to be involved. I like certain communities. I mean, I think like SharePoint and, you know, not to compare the two. But the community effort that gets put into SharePoint, it it blossoms the idea behind the platform uh, in ways that I don't think people know it could shift to mm -hmm. if they would just give the empowerment over, uh, you know, being involved is what I'm saying. 
So yeah. I think this is the same relevance when it comes to this. And we're um, looking for is, developers too. So if you want to get yeah. involved with some of our community source projects, yeah, they're like an open source, but the everywhere. community agrees to keep the technology in the community, um, reach out. Yeah, there's there's several different, any level you're at with any type of aspects when it comes to this is always worth, um, you know, the consensus. The society needs to, to be a playing a part in it. We want that, uh, I think, with this system. I think it makes it flourish more the more we're the more society comes involved in it. So yeah. anyway, this is uh this is it. We're out of time. Uh we appreciate you, Dr. Gorog, for coming on and discussing uh, some of the research you've been doing. Um fascinating stuff. Always I've always been interested in, in such concepts. And it's just amazing to me that this thing seems to be going to that next level now. Um and it's just I know it's in your brain all this time, it's trying to get it out so other people can see it and uh, it's taking a while, but Sounds like that's what's happening here. So anyway, right. this is uh, <laughs> this is it for us for this edition of New Cyber Frontier. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed the conversation and be safe out there and we'll see you next time. Thank you. BlockFrame technology offers next generation blockchain managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and 